0: Hey, everybody, welcome to another edition of The Drop. Greg Wyshynski, Ardo Ocal, here with you twice weekly, Tuesdays and Fridays, wherever you get your audio podcasts as well. The NHL on ESPN YouTube. It is trade deadline season, and the trades are already starting to come through. Wish, thank goodness this happened before we recorded a full day (laughs) so we could digest it. Uh, Chris Tanev off the board. He is off to the Dallas Stars, and this is a three-team trade. Calgary gets a 2024 second round pick and a conditional third in 2026 that will activate if the flame, uh, if the Stars advance to the Stanley Cup final. Also 20-year-old prospect defenseman Artem Grushnikov. And the Devils are involved as well, retaining 25% of Tanev's salary. The Flames retain 50% and the Devils get a fourth round pick in 2026 uh, for their efforts. Uh, I believe the Stars get a goaltender as well. As part of the deal prospect goaltender uh but chris tanev big news off to the dallas stars what do you make of this move well first of all i i can hear the
1: laughter of everybody in the audience because undoubtedly by the time people hear this podcast other trades will be made and you celebrating the fact the tan trade happened before we recorded will be uh very ironic uh probably by the time yes, you hear this um <laughs> no I, you know one of the big winners for me in this deal is jim no the gm of the dallas stars man i mean the, the stars had identified chris tanev as the guy they wanted last piece of the puzzle type player uh a, a 14 year veteran block shots can can move the puck out of his own zone uh and pass as well like he does a lot and and I think for the stars knowing what kinds of teams are lurking for them in the playoffs like the Vegas Golden Knights big physical teams they needed to get better and more physical on their back end the the trade allows them to do some things like they, they, could, they could you know create a whole new new second pairing with him or they could play, play him with Miro. He's going to have he's going to move over to his natural left side and have Tanav be the rock on the right side for them on a top pairing. So great, uh, great guy to acquire. And on top of that, Arda, the cost of acquisition was a hell of a lot lower than we thought it was going to be for Chris
0: Tanav. Yeah, you have to give the Stars Jim Nil, a lot of credit for that price tag. Seventy five percent retention, getting the Devils involved, and what they were able to acquire. For what many people, I mean, many coaches have played the Dallas Stars this season wish and have said that's the most complete team in the NHL. And mm-hmm. they were saying that throughout the season, and now they're adding a right shot defenseman uh, that's high operating and, like you said, could be on that top line. Yeah. And and that is a very scary proposition. Very
1: scary. But a loser for me is, is Craig Conroy, GM of the Calgary Flames. I thought he did really well in the Elias Lindholm trade earlier this year. Um, I, I ain't a hater, but he's one. He's he's one one for two right now on these trade returns pending Noah Hannafin and maybe Jacob Markstrom.
0: I liked your tweet uh, as we go to another winner being the uh, new. Yeah. <laughs> I liked it. That's a general <laughs> statement. <laughs> I like. Oh, I, really? What, thank Which you. One? Thank you. Namaste. Namaste. <laughs> um, the one about the devil. Actually, there's two of them. It's like I didn't have devil's cap <laughs> management uh, on my bingo card, or like a trade involving cap management on my bingo card, but also the Uh, The Flames and the Devils having a trade involving a goaltender, not exactly what you were uh, thinking about. But the Devils uh, do some pretty tidy, a a pretty tidy piece of business here, uh, you know, with with, with the cap management here. And that's something that we were expecting.
1: Yeah. Cole Brady, uh, hive, unite, baby. Uh, Cole Brady (laughs) is an unsigned goalie prospect for the Devils. Should probably speak volumes as to the Devils trading a goalie prospect away, be it what they think of him or be it what the relationship between him and the team was. But yeah, uh, they had to, they had to move somebody in order to 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 eat up this cap space, and it ended up being an unsigned prospect who, by the way, will become a free agent this summer. So I, I don't I don't think he'll end up. Uh, with dallas necessarily either um a good bit of i mean it's become cliche to say this when people when when teams uh use their cap space wisely at the deadline but a good bit of business for the devils uh they they, they pick up a draft pick they utilize the ltir space uh that dougie hamilton's injury created and and they and they pick up enough cap space where it's not going to handcuff them for future deals as the deadline approaches so a smart move, not not the team you expect to be involved in, in, in transactions like this. It's usually like your Blackhawks to your Coyotes, but the Devils uh, did well for themselves here. Loser, though, for me, Arda, out of this whole thing. Every other team that's got a defensive defenseman on the market right now. Like if you're Montreal with David Savard, if, if you're Anaheim, if you're any of these teams that have a defensive defenseman that is looking to flip them at the deadline, and you look at the return that Calgary just got for what was supposed to be the top of the pops when it came to defensive D-men, you're saying to yourself, what does this market look like for me? If, I'm, if my guy's
0: like the fourth best guy. Yeah. It's going to be very fun to see what happens in the next week as we approach the trade deadline on March 8th. Uh, Don't forget ESPN2 and ESPN Plus, we have trade deadline coverage from 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern. But we already have a lot of trade deadline coverage, especially over on ESPN.com. You and our ESPN.com NHL writer colleagues have put together a big board, a trade big board. The top 50 available players that is on ESPN.com right now. Why don't we talk top five, Wish?
1: Yeah, top five for me. Uh, on the big board, uh, Jake Gensel is a clear number one if he's available and who knows if he will be given his injury status, given where the Penguins are in the standings, and given the fact that he's the best winger Sidney Crosby has ever played with, Mm -hmm. uh, if he's available though, he is the best player available. It's going to cost a lot to get him, maybe multiple first round picks, but teams like Carolina, Edmonton, Vancouver should be lining up. And maybe even those pesky Vegas golden Knights, number two, Noah Hannafin, the other flames defenseman that's been rumored uh, to be moving, uh, not coming back to Calgary going to test the market this summer. Um, the Devils would be a very interesting landing spot for him. I, I would not be surprised if, like, for all this Jacob Markstrom talk, the Devils ended up, like, trying to flip uh, a trade for Noah Hannafin to boost their decor, not only this season, but in, in seasons to come if they can re-sign him. But Boston, he's from there. He played there in college. And both the Florida teams also are on my radar for Hannafin. Uh Markstrom has to be third. He's the best goalie in the league this year based on the analytics. I just don't know, and, and we'll get to this in a second, if he's going to move based on where the Flames are in the standings and based on what apparently – the cost of acquisition is going to be for them to pick up a bit of a salary. Number four, Pavel Busnevich. The, the mm-hmm. Blues have, I think, a less than 10% chance of making the playoffs right now. Doug Armstrong is not a sentimental guy. If they're out, they're out. Uh, and and I think he'd be smart to try to flip Busnevich now. Uh, a team would get him for the rest of this season and next season. He's a point-per-game guy. Again, my eye is on Vegas, those pesky nights. And finally, UC Soros would be number five, clearly the other great goaltender who could be available at the deadline, although Barry Trotz, the GM, said no, he's probably not available at this deadline unless he gets absolutely knocked over with a trade proposal. But let's be honest, Arda, the Nashville Predators, as we do this podcast, have an over 50% chance of making the playoffs in the West. Saros is going to be a big part of that. He had a great end of the season last year. I don't think he's going to move at the
0: deadline, but you never say never. And Barry Trotz also said he's in this unique position where he's listening to ideas and proposals on both sides of the fence, right? The buyer fence, the seller fence. Yeah. So it's not like he's ruling out anything as we approach the trade deadline. But yeah, it would be surprising and, and it would take a pretty astronomical uh, deal. It would. And, and and what what do we make of the goalie market now? I mean, if the Flames keep Markstrom, because yeah. they're pushing for a
1: playoff spot, if the uh, Predators keep Soros, we know the Minnesota Wild are hanging on to Marc-Andre Fleury. Fleury has, uh, has stated that he is not looking to move unless the wild are out of a playoff race. They're clearly not out of a playoff race. So those are the three biggest names in the market. Now you drop down a tier to, you know, your Elvis Merzlikens and your Jake Allen's and your Capo Kakanen's and stuff. And it, you're going from guys that could be a starter that, that, that solidifies your cup chances to someone who's going to be more in a, in a tandem. And uh, it certainly has changed the goalie market. The fact that these teams are still alive in the playoff race.
0: Yeah. And not only that, but you have teams like Toronto saying, we're going to roll with the three goaltender system. Yeah. Uh, And, you know, those were one of the teams that you might have considered, oh, they might want to trade up in the goaltending department. So, yeah, listen, I I was one of those that said I thought it would be a goalie heavy trade deadline. And now all signs are pointing to that not being the case. So I love when I'm wrong, Wish. It's great. one best. more trans
1: one more transactional thing uh, frank saravelli reported that uh, elias peterson is closing in potentially on an eight year extension maybe it's happened maybe it hasn't by the time you hear this but uh, that'd be great for the canucks not only because they secure pd in perpetuity and he's one of the best players in this league but because the consternation about his extension and his status as, uh, as potentially being the next guy to bolt a Canadian team, as we, as everybody in Canada is now afraid because of the uh, the the, the, the uh, Johnny Goudreau and, and, and Matthew Kachuk effect. Um, it was kind of overshadowing the Canucks run at this point, and it was becoming a little bit of a distraction. The media was seizing on it. No one in Vancouver knows how to be happy for too long, so they needed to be miserable about something, <laughs> so it had to be this thing. So if they get that out of the way, good on them. It, it gives them a core player uh for the next eight seasons and it, it takes a, a headache off the board for a team that should be all happy positive vibes at this point
0: here's my segue the city of vancouver uh and the rest of canada celebrating that fateful moment in 2010 this week in history when sydney crosby <laughs> scored the golden goal in the olympics uh... in 2010 in the city of vancouver uh quite a wonderful moment it was um, i posted it on my instagram story uh and uh our dear colleague aj Malesko responded to me and said no yeah exactly <laughs> no period yeah my 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 <laughs> therapist tells me it never happened so i don't it... i don't
1: quite know what you're talking about but uh no, i've talked about that before I like i was <laughs> yeah, there the game i covered i yeah. covered the olympics that year I, I i i hated it in the moment it it broke my heart i thought it was the the best chance i would ever have to see the us win gold and also get one over on you Canadians. And uh it's family, it's a family podcast. Uh yes, but then I walked to the streets of Vancouver afterwards and it became apparent that the victory for Canada in that game meant a lot. So much more to Canadians than it did to me. So it, it it really
0: changed my perspective on on what had happened. And not only that, you have a very good chance of uh winning the next several competitions Woo-hoo! uh moving forward. But the reason I bring up Sidney Crosby is because he is involved. Uh, in this scenario that we're going to present to you here on The Drop. The Hart Trophy conversation is very interesting. In fact, wish, uh, Kevin Weeks and I had a chance to speak with Nathan McKinnon after the Avalanche broadcast on Tuesday, and we asked him about the Hart Trophy race, and he said, I don't expect to win. Uh, very oh, humble of okay. him as a hockey player. Uh, but, <laughs> but here's the thing. Yeah, here's the thing. <laughs> I believe that there are milestone scenarios Uh, that could very well clinch the Hart Trophy for specific players. Let me explain. I'm going to present to you five scenarios, and I would like to rank them in order of guarantee that the Hart Trophy will be awarded to that person if this milestone is met. All right, I like it. Okay. Scenario number one, Connor McDavid wins the Art Ross Trophy despite his uh, challenging start to the season. That's scenario number one. So okay. if he surpasses just imagine the scenario, he surpasses Kucherov and McKinnon. He's number one in points at the end of the right. season. That's right. scenario one. Number two, Nikita Kucherov gets 165 points. <laughs> wow. All right. Okay. That's scenario two. Scenario three, and this is an important, this is the Sydney Crosby one. Crosby scores a hundred points, likely. But the Penguins also make the Stanley Cup playoffs. Okay. Now we're less now, likely. Now- now,
1: now, yeah, now we're in
0: fantasy land, but go ahead. Now, here's the thing <laughs> with that, though. Just remember the definition of the Hart Trophy, most valuable to his team. Yes. Just want to make that reminder. Number four, Austin Matthews gets to 75 goals. And number okay. five, McKinnon takes the points lead and the Avalanche win the Central. Now, right. I'm going to say this right off the bat. To me, by definition, If all of these scenarios happen, to me, Austin Matthews will win the Hart Trophy. He will be the most valuable player in the league. But by definition, most valuable to his team, it should be Sidney Crosby, if he wills that team to the playoffs. Because if you take him off of that team, and I know that we say this about a player on certain teams many seasons, Taylor Hall and the Devil several years ago was like the quintessential example. You take Sidney Crosby off that team, the Penguins are a bottom five team. Right. This season. Yeah, completely. He's not going to win the Hart Trophy because of how the voting works, but he, but to me, by definition, he should. He's also closing strong,
1: which we've seen in the past with like Corey Perry and players like that. If you Taylor Hall being the greatest example, if you close strong as as Sid currently is, especially with Gensel out of the lineup, then that really increases your stock. I'll say this. I think I think McDavid and Kucherov are kind of in the same spot. You could flip them five four, four five. Um I I'll get to Kucherov in a second. I think number three for me is the Sid scenario. Uh, I I think that would that would really you know obviously put him in the conversation, maybe even clinch it for him. Matthews is two only because of the enormity of the goal total. But the the struggle I have with that art is like how much better or how much more elevated are the Leafs this year? over what they we normally expect from them. Agreed. Like yeah, they're going to be third or second in the Atlantic. It's not like they all of a sudden are win, you know a, a 128 point team like the Bruins last year or whatever, you know. Like so even with the goals, the Leafs are still the Leafs. Like they they're just good. Uh, McKinnon takes the points lead in the Avalanche when the central for, for me is number 1 and it's number 1 because uh due respect to Nate, there is a desire to give him his heart. There's a desire to correct the wrong of Taylor Hall beating Nathan McKinnon for the MVP to give McKinnon something that everyone else on this list has, OK, except for him and to give him the MVP. And if he wins the points race and the avalanche win the central, that will be ample enough evidence to a voter to say it's it to to reaffirm to them
0: that it's McKinnon's time. So the paradigm of Nathan McKinnon deserves a hard trophy, which not yeah. many people will argue right, is stronger than Austin Matthews scoring 75 goals, a mark we haven't seen in over 30 years.
1: That's correct. Because I I okay. think there I think in the mind of the voter, the McKinnon getting MVP will be more important than than Matthews getting MVP. And that Matthews will be acknowledged by the NHLPA Player of the Year Award for his accomplishments. Now that the all that lenses. said, all that said, with due respect to Nathan McKinnon and Austin Matthews. Nikita Kucherov is the MVP. I don't know what the hell is happening out here, Arda. We're a guy who is almost solely responsible for shepherding the Tampa Bay Lightning through an injury to their starting goaltender, having that goaltender come back and not be himself. An injury to their second best defenseman in Sergachev, having a roster that clearly has atrophied from the heights of their championship seasons, losing all of those supporting cast players, a team that without Kucherov's uh, accomplishments and output this season, much like you with the Penguins and Sid, the Lightning would not be anywhere near a playoff seed. I I feel like I'm taking crazy pills right now with the amount of people that are like, give McKinnon the heart. Or if Matthews hits 75, give him the heart when Nikita Kucherov
0: has demonstrably been the most valuable player to his team. So if he wins the heart, Art Ross, the heart, the heart, Ross, that's a good one for the, for, (laughs) for winning both. If he wins the art Ross, Nikita Kucherov, he satisfies both versions of the definition, best player, most valuable to his team. Uh huh. So he should win. He but should be. The, the uh, uh, I mean, he's not he's not really
1: led for MVP in all of our awards watches in the last few months. It's insane to me. There might be some knucklehead out there that doesn't give him a vote because he dogged it at the all-star game or because he's Russian. I don't That's know, ridiculous. man. But to me, That's it's ridiculous. like the, everybody, every other candidate on this list is worthy. They're very worthy. And and I think ultimately McKinnon wins. But man, I I, I again, like you, you look at the definition of the award. You look at what people have done. You look at where the teams are without them and all that jive. I mean, Kucherov is the MVP until proven otherwise this season.
0: I like that. I like that. And you know what? If people are voting based on the All-Star alone, that's number one. You know what? That's all I have to say about that. Uh, TS up on our interview. You 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 were able to sit down uh, one-on-one earlier this week. Yeah, I wanted
1: to know more about the Florida Panthers' success. So I talked to Oliver Ekman Larson to kind of get somebody's perspective who, you know, walked in from out the outside to that team in the offseason. What's it like playing with Matthew Kachuk? What's it like being Nick Cousins teammate? And of course, uh, asking one of the more famous Arizona Coyotes in recent years whether or not he thinks that team might relocate. All right, joining us now on the drop, Oliver Ekman Larson, defenseman for the Florida Panthers, the surging Florida Panthers, the Cup Hungry. Florida Panthers, and he joins us now on the drop. Uh, OEL, this is your 14th NHL season, which I'm sure makes both of us feel fairly old. Uh, Tell me what it was like for you, a veteran of this league, to join a team like the Florida Panthers that had just gone through it, a run to the Stanley Cup final. Their chemistry is probably off the charts, band of brothers, that whole thing. What was it like walking into that room as uh, someone from the outside?
2: Yeah, I I uh, I mean, it's always a little bit weird coming into a new, new team and a new, uh, building, but I felt right away that it was a really tight group of guys that built uh, something special, uh, over the last year. And, uh, yeah, just, um, uh, heard a lot of good, good, good things about it. Obviously watched them play in the playoffs last year and, and, uh, like what I was, uh, seeing back then. So, uh, but I, I also felt like it was, uh, even if they had a, great run. Uh, I felt like it was uh, still a lot of uh, yeah, I guess uh, room for improvement. So uh, that's that's what I really liked and I wanted to be a part of.
1: Yeah, I mean, and the improvement is don't don't struggle to be a wild card team. <laughs> just, right. just snag that playoff spot early and that's what they've done. I mean, the Florida Panthers are a team that has been that is pushing for the best record in the NHL this season. What is it about this Florida team that you've witnessed now from the inside that's enabled them to be this successful?
2: No, I think we we show up every night. I think the work ethic that we have in practices or in games or or even in the gym. I think uh, that was one thing when I came in this, this summer, uh just for the captain skates. I I felt like the guys were were hungry. They were going. It was uh yeah mid season it felt like uh coming in. So uh that's what I really like about this team and, and obviously the the depth that we have too. Uh we have four great lines, uh a lot of good deeperson and uh two goalies that uh has been unbelievable so just a mix of guys that we have and and the way that we play uh it's it's pretty pretty simple but it's it's a lot of hard work
1: who's the biggest gym rat on the roster
2: who's who's the guy that loves to hit, hit it in the gym i think it's forsling uh <laughs> he's uh he's pretty ripped um him mean, credit for that but uh he's uh he's one guy that that is uh, in the gym all the time and and uh he's just a pro on and off dice. So uh but uh I'll say this it's a lot of guys like that on on this team too. So uh it's uh it's uh it's fun to be a part of and there you go pushes, right, Nick, Nick, pushes Nick, me Nick, as a, as an old guy too too. Uh, yeah, I was going
1: to say, Gustav, For like underrated defenseman and ripped dude. Uh, yeah. we, now we've learned all these things from you. I was going to ask you about uh, Matt Kachuk. I mean, we know him from the outside. We know what he's able to do on the ice. You obviously, you know, faced him as an opponent through the years as well. N- now that you've gotten to see him behind the scenes, like what are the things that we don't get to see about Matt behind the scenes?
2: I mean, yes, from a guy that played against him. Uh, for a number of years uh it's it's a lot better to be on the same side uh i can tell you that much <laughs> uh, but just the uh, the details that he pays uh into his game he's working on on the small small things around the net and and uh he's a really hardworking guy as well so uh but i think one of one of the things with this this team too like our our best players are the guys that that works the, the hardest so uh, it's easy for, for all the other guys to just uh, jump on their backs and, and get to work.
1: Every generation has their <clears throat> their guy, their Sean Avery, their Matt Cook, that type of player. You guys got one on the roster, Nick Cousins, where every time Nick Cousins does something, the internet sets a fire of people discussing this guy. What is it like to have a player like that on your team? Is there ever a, an opportunity for you guys where you have to like step in and say, hey, cool it a little bit with the antics on the ice
2: i mean the thing with with Cassie, i played with him in, in arizona uh, for a couple of years as well so uh it's one of those guys that you uh, love to have on your team but i hate to play against and uh Cassie is an unbelievable guy uh so i mean that's that's part of his game and and uh like i said i think it's it's uh, it's a really good guy to have on, on your side of things but uh, he works hard and and uh things happen so quick out there so uh but yeah i think he's doing an unbelievable job uh uh what he's supposed to do
1: are you guys ever impressed with what he comes up with the the, the playing dead on the ice thing from the other night was uh was a new one for me <laughs>
2: yeah i mean uh i think he's he's trying to live with everything i think that's uh one thing with Cassie. he's he's such a funny guy uh he's uh one of those guys that cannot of Keeps the room light and, and uh, just a big part of his group.
1: I think most fans got to know you best when you were playing for the uh, Coyotes. Uh, I believe this season was your first trip back to Arizona as an opponent. And that means you played at Mullet Arena. What was your take on their current home?
2: Yeah, it's, uh, it was a little bit different than uh, when I was there. Uh, obviously, a little bit smaller rink, but... Uh, I mean for for me I was there for a long time. Uh I think that helped me not going into to the old building uh to kind of uh with all the memories and stuff. I think that would have been harder harder for me but uh no I mean it's it's not ideal but uh they're making the best out of it and and it's a it's a tough team to play in in, uh, in their building so uh and and they're doing a little bit better too so I'm 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 happy for them you
1: did, you went through it all when you played there, man. I remember me staying up on the East coast to like two in the morning, watching Glendale city council meetings, not my favorite thing in the world to have done as a hockey journalist to see what was going to happen with you guys. Do you think, do you think we're at a point where the coyotes might relocate?
2: Oh, uh, I mean, I don't know. Like, like you said, I went through pretty much everything, uh, new owner or a couple new owners, I guess. And, and, uh, that talk over yeah almost 11 years of my my time there so uh it's one of those things that as a player you can't really control and and uh you just focus on on what you can can do on the ice and around uh, the community and stuff like that but uh so i don't really want to i don't really want to comment like i still have a lot of friends that that's on that team and guys working around that team so I just hope for the best for for their sake
1: as we all do I bring yeah. up the Coyotes because it's been a long journey for you man you spent a lot of time outside of the playoffs you know and things of that nature and now you're on a team that a lot of people feel like could win it all and I wanted to ask you just you know when you when you start to envision it you know what would it mean for you to finally be able to lift the cup
2: I mean, it it would mean the world. Uh, that's why you start. Well, I guess early early age you 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 play because you love it, and and I mean I still do, but it's it's a it's more about the the cup. Like coming in as a young guy in the, in the best league in the world, you're you're kind of happy that that you made it. But then when you grow older and and have have spent some time in the league, I think you start realizing what it's all about and and what you really are here for uh and and i feel like that's that's the where i'm at in my career right now and and that's why i picked florida so uh it would mean a lot for me to uh for us to 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 win a cup uh, especially with this uh special group that we have here so uh yeah really pumped about uh, the chance uh to to compete and and uh have a really strong team
1: where does that mindset change? Like, well, like you mentioned going from a younger player who's just there to, you know, score a bunch of goals and put up a bunch of points yeah. and maybe get an all-star team. Like when, when does that change? Is it, is it like changes off the ice? When you start having a family and things like that, or is it just knowing that your career has a finite number of years? When does that change happen going from young player who doesn't care to older player who must win the cup?
2: I say that you don't care. I, it's just more that you're trying to stick around in the league. Right. and, and, mm-hmm. Uh, it's so hard uh, to do so because it's so many good players and and you gotta be a pro about it you gotta show up every single night and that's not easy to do when you're an 18 year old or 19 year old coming into to the best league in the world so I think two three years like it takes time to kind of find your spot and uh, yeah I just try to get better every single day even if I'm I don't think I'm that old but I'm getting older (laughs)
1: You're old in NHL years, man. You're not Absolutely. old in life. I mean, let's be honest. Right. Yeah. Uh, but no, that's a lovely sentiment. Absolutely. Uh, finally, I wanted to ask you about uh, Team Sweden international play. You had the opportunity to represent your country in the Olympics and other international tournaments. What would it mean to you to get a chance to represent them again, either at this Four Nations thing or, or in 2026?
2: No, I think it's uh, it's great that uh, we get a chance to to go to the Olympics again. I think that's one of the things growing up. Uh, it was always World Championship and Olympics that you watched. Uh, Lidstrom, Peter Forsberg, Mats Sundin, Naslund, like uh, Lundqvist, those guys, and, and that's kinda where uh, I fell in love with the game uh, because it was hard to follow the NHL, uh, but I think it's a great opportunity to to grow the sport and and to get a chance to to play for your country. It's always a big honor all right
1: finally play swedish general manager for me hank's done can't bring back hank who's the starting goaltender for team sweden in 2026 in italy
2: uh i feel like we, ha- we have a lot of good goalies uh i mean my good buddy Markstrom. i think yeah he's a he's an unbelievable goalie uh i think old mark is is uh uh, stud to um I don't know if I'm allowed to say that now being on the Florida Panthers but uh, but yeah I feel like we we have uh, uh have a few that that that's gonna compete for it but uh, I'm gonna go with my my boy Markstrom
1: that's not a bad choice. Uh, analytically, the best goalie in the world this season. So you made a pretty decent spot pick yeah. there, I think. Uh, Oliver Ekman-Larsen, thank you so much for joining The Drop. Continued success this season, and hopefully at the end of it, we might be uh, seeing you lift that Stanley Cup for the first time. Thank you so much, Yeah, That would
2: be great. Awesome. Thank you.
0: Thanks again to OEL for joining us here on The Drop. Don't forget the Panthers face the Red Wings on Saturday, 3 p.m. Eastern on ABC As part of our ongoing coverage, ABC Hockey Saturdays. Uh, This is fun. I, You know, we love our merch here on The Drop. We even do a segment called The Search for Merch. Uh, But Wish, you were able to get some really interesting uh, sales information about NHL jerseys this season. Yeah, shout out to Fanatics. We have
1: the top five in jersey sales, both for the season and for the last month, which are very interesting. For the season, number five, Mika Sabanajad; number four, Austin Matthews; number three, Artemi Panera; number two, Jack Hughes; and number one, Connor Bedard. Which should not be a surprise to anyone. Everybody in Chicago buying up their Bedard jerseys to replace their Taves and Kane ones. The other
0: uh, name wait, on wait, this wait, list are to da- get there before we get there. Yeah, um, are we surprised that Connor McDavid is not the top five?
1: Not at all. And, and I'll tell you why. I mean, Matthews has obviously been on a tear, very popular. Uh, and uh, and and so his jersey is selling well. The other names in this list, Hughes, Panera, and Jet, I think were probably fueled by those players having participated in outdoor games this year and having all of those outdoor games jerseys. Sure with their names in the back, fueling it. And I think we also see that reflected in the sales for February. Number five, Igor Shachurka. Number four, Zabanajad. Number three, Nico Heischer. Number two, Panarin. And number one, Jack Hughes, obviously fueled by the incredible merch that they sold at the stadium series at MetLife, setting a, a merch record for sales on day one and then breaking that record on day two. But you th- you're you surprised McDavid ain't in the top five for jersey
0: sales for the season? So I like the angle of, hey, this is a unique event. This was a tentpole landmark event. And so that might generate more jersey sales. To that end, I mean, and obviously New York is a big market for hockey, right? Like we, there's no winter classic reflection here For just as an example, right? Uh, but also it's the combination of star player and geography and mm-hmm. tentpole events, February, like Jack Hughes being number two overall for the entire season. I wouldn't say it's surprising, but it's definitely noteworthy. And and, and if I'm looking at this, I, I want to track where Jack Hughes is every month, right? right? Like he's second in the entire season in Jersey sales and number one, Clearly, I mean, the, and also let's be honest, the Devils Stadium Series jerseys were fantastic. I love yeah. them. So they, they look great. Jack Hughes is a star player. He probably is going to lead that team in jersey sales for years to come. So I'm not surprised by him being number one in February. Uh, number two in the league is noteworthy. You also you also have to
1: remember that the, um, the, the, the Leafs have that black jersey too. So, I mean, a lot of people who might own – Matthews, white or blue jerseys are are grabbing that jersey as well. So there's always sort of market forces involved in these jersey sales. But again, like I I, I may also be as simple as there are more Leaf fans than Oiler fans, Arda.
0: Well, and and what about Leaf fans versus Rangers fans? Uh, Panarin is number three uh, season to date and Matthews is number four. That's interesting. I wonder what the gap is. Maybe not that much. Who knows? But uh, we will endeavor to bring you more numbers like this. We're very interested in Uh, Jersey sales month over month so maybe we'll do it for the month of March, we'll see Uh, the last thing we want to talk about here on the show, the PWHL has released new rules or ideas Uh, we know about obviously they've implemented things like a different point system for wins and losses in their standings uh, the jailbreak shorthanded goal when the shorthanded goal uh, frees up the penalty, but now uh, there are innovative formats for their playoffs and also for the draft, number one the top four teams in the standings will advance to the playoffs, and the number one seed wish will have the opportunity to select their first round opponent. They can choose the second seed, the third seed, or the fourth seed. And then the other two remaining teams will play off uh, play in the, sem- in the other semifinal, uh, and that's how the playoffs will be decided. Let's dive into that one first. Your reaction. I'm not not a fan. I, I think it's one of those things that's better in theory than in practice.
1: I, I spoke with Doug Price, who's the commissioner of the Southern Professional Hockey League that did, that did this format for two seasons. Only twice did teams pick opponents they weren't supposed to be seated to play and actually resulted in one of the number one seeds in the tournament being upset, which probably put a chill through the other teams to be able to do this. He told me it was fun at the time, but the biggest problem that they had with it was was logistics. You know, uh, you don't know who your opponent's going to be until you pick it. And then you only have a scant, you know, day or two before the playoffs start to really figure out the logistics. So while that wouldn't, in theory, like, say, in the NHL, affect teams picking between the Devils and the Flyers, it might be a big difference between picking the Kings and the Jets in the Western Conference. Um, but he said that, they, you know, the teams sounded to be fun. Uh, they they, they kind of liked it. But at the end of the day, it only lasted two seasons in that league. And they went back to the, the traditional format.
0: And what, why did they go back to the traditional format? Did, did the players and the team say, no, we would just prefer to go to the format and it was decided or...
1: That was okay. part of it. Logistics was part of it. Um, okay. and, and, and again, it's, it's different strokes for different folks. I mean, this is a league that is a bus league, the SPHL, right? So like the difference between one city and another city is is pretty enormous compared to maybe in the NHL. But he brought up a good point, which is that, you know, from a, from a scouting perspective, from a, from a preparation perspective, like you have teams that think they're going to play somebody, then they play somebody else. It affects travel. It affects a lot of things. It's it's kind of a, a little bit of a wrinkle. Not not insurmountable, and, and who knows. But for me, Arta, again, at the end of the day, I just think that these guys don't want to be exposed. If you're a number one seed and you pick a seven seed, A, you're giving them locker room, bulletin board fodder, saying that, you know, we think we can beat you. And then, B, uh, you are maybe putting your job on the line <laughs> if you're choosing correctly. So I always think that these guys are going to just defer to, their, to, to the
0: traditional seeding if it was in the NHL. So I get everything you're saying from a drama and a television product perspective. I love it. I love that part of it. I love the entertainment part of it. And at the end of the day, we watch sports for entertainment. And we're going to have that in the back of our minds when well, we were watching that series. And that adds an extra element of uh, desire to watch edge of your seat entertainment. So and we should, that and we will should make say, that, that. We should at, make, this, at,
1: yeah, sorry, at this point for the PWHL, I mean, it's fine. They're like a four team playoff. Like when they grow, it would maybe become more of an issue, but it's fine for what they're doing now.
0: And I love that the PWHL in general, they are taking swings. They are trying to change paradigms. It's great. I like that. I like that. this this,
1: This one and the next one we're going to talk about, though, sounds like there's somebody in that league that is looking for hockey Twitter cred because these are two ideas that a lot of nerds on hockey Twitter have been banging their drums for for a while. It sounds like it's catered to the Jeff Merricks of the world, to be honest with you, versus being something that the league actually
0: needs. Maybe Jeff had something to do with it. Maybe he did. Uh, I know. Yeah. <laughs> um, the So the draft, uh, the way it will work is once a team is eliminated from playoff contention, uh, that begins a new piggy bank, essentially. And each win or the amount of points that they accrue will go into their draft point bucket. And so this essentially eliminates or is designed to eliminate tanking. Uh, to get a first overall pick. What you do is you accrue points as soon as you're eliminated from playoff contention, and the team with the most draft points at the end of the season will then draft first. I can see you rolling your eyes, man. I,
1: I am. I, it's the dumbest idea in, in the history of hockey, and 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 it makes smart people look dumb when they try to defend it because a lot of really smart people like it. And they like it because they're living in fantasy land where it divorces itself from the reality of what happens when teams get eliminated versus what they think should happen in in this uh, Adam Gold plan draft thing that that we're dealing with here. Bad teams aren't suddenly going to become competent teams because the top pick is at stake. If they could, they wouldn't be in the lottery. He'd be pushing for a playoff spot. That's point one. Point two, what unrestricted free agent with one skate out the door this summer even remotely cares about securing the future for a team that doesn't want to resign him? They're looking to just stay healthy. That's why the games at the end of the season stink is because they're all half speed by guys that aren't even concerned about playing defense for a millisecond. It affects the trade deadline by teams hanging out of their players to try to cure these piggy bank points. It affects teams' willingness to play younger players down the stretch of the season because the more veterans you play, the better a chance there is that you win. Most of all, Arda, the draft is supposed to help the league's least successful teams, not the ones that win. It's completely counterproductive to what the draft's supposed to be. And finally, tanking's not a problem. You're, it's a solution for a problem that's not a, that does not exist. It's a means to the end. The reason people like this plan is because they can't get it through their heads that fans will be okay cheering for their team to lose after it's eliminated as they are cheering it to win if they're eliminated. They want it to be positive, Pete. You know, don't cheer for your team. Don't cheer for a loss. Who cares? It's all means to the same end. which is trying to get the first overall pick.
0: If I'm a star player signed to a long-term deal, I love this if if i'm a, if i'm a star player on a team that's not going to make the playoffs but i'm okay. signed long term and i'm committed to the development and growth of this team i love this because i will bust my ass i will work hard okay. to to motivate my team to get those points and get those draft picks so that my team does become a star team and does become a uh championship contending team so from that angle i like it a lot and also if i'm like, especially in the young, we're in year one of the PWHL. We are growing fans. We are building fans. They're along for the ride at the beginning, just like these players are. And so, first of all, like I said, I love the swings. I love that they're attempting things, even if they're wrong or even if it doesn't work out, like you said, with the other league. Great. Fine. Change it. It's fine. No one's going to dock you marks for trying, especially in its infant stages. And number but, two, the, yeah. like, the, go ahead, go ahead. The PWHL
1: doesn't have a tanking problem. They have two teams that don't make the playoffs. <laughs> this is this is a plan you adopt to try no, but to. They, it's they an anti-tanking they plan. Competitive. For a team that doesn't have any for a league doesn't have any tanking
0: but, yet. But they they want. The, but they they have a history. There's a history of tanking in other leagues uh, that are competitive, and so they want to avoid that altogether. And not only that, it to me it's. You, you don't want a situation where a team gets so bad and they get so disenfranchised that people aren't buying tickets to watch them anymore. Yeah. Be- you have to make sure if if, if, if they- your job is in the short term to try and continue to drum up interest as much as possible, this will help with that.
1: That That is, again, it's fantasy land. You know, it'll, it'll, you'll sell one ticket, and that's the game in which if they win, they get the first overall pick. Fans want to cheer for their team making the playoffs. The minute they don't make the playoffs, you know what they're doing? They're saving their money. They're going to the beach. They're doing all the things that we know fans do towards the end of the season. I, the entire thing is premised on a, a, a dream. It's a, it's a, it's a seeing a unicorn in the forest. That's all it is.
0: So what you're saying is that the the the, the tanking process in the PWHL will be we tank at the start of the season <laughs> if we I'm think saying, that this team is going to be bad. I'm saying, we're tank I'm saying at the you
1: start don't. You don't. I'm saying you don't. You lose use a Plan all your games. to fight
0: tanking when you you have two teams that are out of the playoffs. You you so you you lose all your games at the start of the season, get eliminated from contention as quickly as possible. Then the star players return from LTIR at that point, and then you just go on a heater, win all those games, get the first overall pick. Sure, whatever whatever, <laughs> whatever floats their boat. All right. Well, you have your opinion. I'd love to see what the comment section has to say about this because you're making some very interesting points. I will definitely say that. Like You're making some very interesting points and very educated points. I want to see what the comment section has to say about this because I don't think a lot of people will necessarily agree, but maybe they are part of this fantasy land that you're talking about. Uh, <laughs> that are disillusioned. Maybe they're in the Matrix. They took the red pill. Who knows? <laughs> uh, let us know. We, we love to read the comment section. We love to know what you guys are thinking, and we love to continue the conversation. Uh, before we go, Wish... Just want to give a quick shout out. Um, I had a really cool day on Wednesday. I went to Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania, and I spent the day with the Wilkes-Barre Scranton Penguins. Uh, As you know, I've said it on the show before, uh, they have the best setup for Star Wars night of any team uh, in hockey or sports. And that is because they work directly with who is now the chief content officer, of the of Lucasfilm Dave Filoni who is a massive Penguins fan massive hockey fan in general to the point where he plays in the Mario Lemieux fantasy camp and he's Uh watching Wilkes-Barre Scranton Penguins games like he's just he is he's one of us massive hockey fan (laughs) but he designs their jerseys the seventh annual Star Wars night's gonna happen on March 23rd Uh, they will be doing a reveal I was I was lucky enough to be part of the whole reveal that's why I'm wearing this by the way this is a Mandalorian one from two years ago oh yeah Uh, very very cool so their reveal will happen. I don't want to spoil it here, but uh, I will share it once it does get revealed. I just want to give a quick shout out to Brian Coe, who, uh, who oversees everything. He's a Senior VP of Operations. Uh, to Nick, Ali, Jason, Jalen, Michael, Chrissy, and Samantha. Awesome day. The vibes are immaculate in the office. Really appreciate y'all having me. And uh, yeah, look out for some content from WBS Penguins and Thank Star Wars care. Night. It was a lot of fun. May the Force be with you always exactly this is the way and the way for you to continue to listen to our podcast is to find us wherever you get your audio podcast and the nhl on espn youtube and that is it that is all for us here enjoy the games this weekend and we will see you on tuesday
1: bye